0: You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 210, Bobby Jackson and Community That Heals. We all need each other right now, especially, don't we? Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. You have no idea how much that means to me. If you have other favorite podcasts, I mean, obviously this is probably your favorite, but uh, if you have other favorites, what you need to know is that every podcast host is grateful every time somebody downloads because it means you're listening. So thanks for doing that. Um, if you haven't had a chance, go out to halfway there, You can check out the archives, sign up for the mailing list so that you can see some of the stuff that I share of, about how the episode relates to me on the email. Um, I'd love to have you on there as well. We have a really great guest today. Our guest, he's a man of many hats. He's a pastor, a licensed therapist. He's a leader in the field of student care. Um, he's spent over two decades, developing programs, training leaders. Um, and we're going to talk all about, um, all of that, uh, as we go through his story. So our guest is Bobby Jackson. Bobby, welcome to halfway there. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: It's great to have you. And, um, I'm, I'm really interested in all the things you're doing. I gave that high level overview. Tell us more about who you are and what God's doing in your life right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, A couple of years ago, um, I I was a a student pastor for um, a a volunteer for a bunch of years and then um, kind of progressed to being a full-time paid um, youth pastor. But a couple of years ago, God put it on our hearts um, to do this this message series on Jesus's emotions. And um, when we did that, it it, I thought it was going to be cool. I thought the kids were going to love it. I thought my emo kids were going to be like, "Oh, Jesus had emotions. I have emotions. This is going to be awesome." <laughs> but I didn't realize that it was going to wreck my life, and Uh-oh. that uh, when you stew on Jesus's emotions for a couple of months, um, you, you. I began to realize like that he was generally mad at people like me in positions of authority, especially religious authority, that liked it too much. Um, and that he was always compassionate and loving and caring for people who were hurting, and I, we we began to realize, um, you know that that we wanted to follow more in his footsteps and change our hearts. So, the last couple of years, especially the last two years, we've changed um, we've changed jobs. We've started um, uh, an organization called Rally Point Ministry. Um, We we uh, launched a a curriculum for kids who are struggling with pain and addiction and grief. Um, And it's really been it's really been a a pretty amazing process. We became foster parents um, just trying to um, trying to get into that space that Jesus clearly always inhabited. Um, it's, It's been quite the quite the journey. Yeah. Okay.
0: So I want to dive into all of that because I know uh, there's way more to it, right? So there's, uh, and that's what I think. I know that my my friends here listening want to want to hear. So, uh, where are you from? Where'd you grow up?
1: Yeah, I was a uh, I was an Air Force kid, so I don't uh-huh. really Nowhere. claim a home. Yeah. No. Um, I went to high school in North Dakota, uh, in Minot. Yeah. They say only the best come north, which. <laughs> not well i have doubts uh (laughs) and then uh, i have a friend
0: who's a pastor in minot
1: really yeah (laughs) no joke that's awesome it's a small uh, place it is a small place we probably know each other um and then i ended up going to moody downtown and i ended up in the chicagoland area so as an adult um it still took me a long time to settle i spent a bunch of years moving every year um and 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 eventually ended up making Chicago my home.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so you were kind of. What was it like moving around all over the place? Like, where, what, how did that uh, change you affect
1: you? Yeah. Uh, well, I've always been. My my mom uh, used to say that I was going to grow up to either be a used car salesman or a pastor. Um, I've always had that gift of talkativeness and engaging with people wherever I go. So the upside of being in the military is you get to make a lot of first impressions, um, which is often what I'm, what I'm, um, best at. Uh, but then, uh, the, the other upside for me is I'm not great at maintenance or sustaining relationships. So I've really struggled with that my whole life. And, and wow. part of that was, was detaching every, every third year or sooner, uh, as a military kid, it, it's, it's been something that's, that's followed me into. Little, oh yeah, well, it gets so into. Your, downsides.
0: It gets into your life as a rhythm, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, how do you feel about that?
1: <laughs> well, um, yeah, it, like my, I married the op- my opposite in that, so my wife was born in the house that she grew up in, um, in Georgia. Wow, And so we have a roots person who's like, wants to dig roots. And, and, um, I have a track record of starting something every other year or, or one. So she's always trying to like harness my energy for that and saying like, what if you stay in the same job, but just like go to grad school at part time, (laughs) or what if you do this? And she'd always try to like, pretend like I was, I was changing a a lifestyle and really we kind of did that together. So. That's part of the adventure. Yeah, figuring I out how to how to merge the two.
0: That's fascinating. Um, okay, so what was it like growing up? Like, so you're you're moving around. Did you have uh, was your family a spiritual family? If Your mom was saying you're going to be a pastor, maybe. But what was that like?
1: Yeah, yeah. My parents um, created a, a Christian home for us. Um, they they both came from um, kind of divided uh, faith backgrounds, where one parent was really serious and one wasn't. So they didn't really. Have grew up in christian homes so they would call us like a guinea pig family as they tried to figure that out um so faith was really important to me uh, it was always the first place i make friends was within our churches mm-hmm. um uh, we were in some bad school districts so i was homeschooled um seven of my 13 years and not in any particular order it was two years three years two years three years kind of thing um so church was always um like the place where I, I felt like I could be cool. I was the kid who like was the fastest to turn their Bible open to the page the youth pastor would say and be like, I'm the best at <laughs> something. So for a long time, Christianity was just, um, uh, was my comfort zone, was my convenience space. It was the easiest part of my life.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That was a place where you could instantly meet people that would mm-hmm. be kind of in your corner. Exactly. Did you have like a personal experience what's the first thing you remember about you and and jesus
1: yeah um i remember as a as a little kid um my faith experience was was always fear-based i think um so like i remember telling my mom um that i prayed to ask jesus into my heart a hundred times just to make sure um i think uh i I remember as a 13 year old um kind of having a one of those, um, like a, a moment of reality where like, I, 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 I remember, um, my dad was deployed, um, and just waking up in like cold sweats while he was gone, uh, afraid of a lot of things and wondering, my question had been like, you know, is this all real? What's the point of living? Or, you know, do we have a purpose, um, kinds of like big grandiose questions. And, and, um, my mom, um, Gave me a verse in Ecclesiastes um, that says, like, uh, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And and for some reason as a 13-year-old, that resonated with me. Like I think the spirit really got a hold of me with that passage. And it was like, oh, right. Like, okay, yeah, this is, this is it. We've, we've heard all your arguments. And and as a 13 year old, I, they were all answered in that, in that passage, you you have one job and and that's fear God and keep his commandments. um, That kind of clicked. So um, that's that, again, it was still for me, it was still the easy space Christianity was, um, but, but it was, that was the first time I remember really making a choice to, to follow Jesus.
0: Yeah so okay so what what came from that did you did people invest in you or did you have some discipleship or like what what was kind of yeah. the learning part of your journey with jesus like
1: yeah um i, I mean uh, the the biggest influencer I'll probably tear up as I talk about her is my mom um, mm. she's uh she's uh, she has this like prayer book that i don't i don't I've never seen anything like it where she prays a passage for each of us and now each of my kids um, that's now like, she's got, uh, it's like a three ring binder where she pulls the sheets out that she prays and passages yeah. over us. And she's got boxes and boxes of these sheets. Um, but she's, she's influenced, uh, every part of, of who I've become. Um, I had some influential youth pastors, but I also had some pretty tragic experiences with youth pastors where um, I had two youth pastors get fired um, at two different churches for uh, morality reasons. And so for me, like that experience was, was pretty formative of like, we need, I needed a, a I needed a role model and I didn't have one. Um, and, and that was a big reason why I ended up in youth ministry was, was feeling like um somebody has to, somebody has to, um, like young people and, and, and be consistent and and care about Jesus and and show what like a godly Christian man can be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so hard. That is a world. Um, you know, I, I had people when I was in seminary, my grandmother, I I love her, but she said, you should go be a youth pastor somewhere. And I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it is so transitory, right? It is so hard. It can be, and there's lots of, you know, obviously that story, unfortunately, is a common one. Right. Um, interesting. Wow. So your mom really, really so it sounds like she was kind of your rock as you're as kind of forming your, your own faith.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Where did you go? So you decided to go into youth ministry. What, uh, where did that take you?
1: Yeah. So um, I'm one of six kids. And, um, so there's kind of a, a dual story that, that kind of begins there. Um, I knew I wanted to go into, into youth ministry. So I went to Moody, I, um, when I, where I was growing up, that was the school that like, that was like the the Ivy league school of pastor schools. Yeah. I don't know. That's what we thought of it in my youth ministry. We had like one person we'd heard of that went there. So it was like, Oh, that's <laughs> the place. That's the Mecca. Of, I shouldn't say that. You can't say Mecca Christianity. <laughs> and, uh,
0: but well, I, the, it is sort of a sort of a yeah. cultural term for like, hey, that's Eesh. the place to go.
1: So, um, so I, I actually applied. I was either going to do that, or I was I was going to go to theater school. Oh, um, interesting. Why? Wait, I, tell me actually, why. Tell me that story. <laughs> I just remember that that was not planned. But um, yeah, I was I was really into theater in high school. Um, yeah. I I like. I was homeschooled up through through junior halfway through junior year of high school and then um, halfway through junior year I read the book Fox's Book of Martyrs and I was telling my mom, like people die for their faith and you keep me at home I need to go in pour, like, like be a part of the world. And, um, I think it was because I had a crush on a girl just as much as it was like it was like a, it was like a master manipulation of my own mom. Uh,
0: it's mixed motives I mean we all have those Bobby I'm gonna let you off the hook on that one I mean you have to deal with it yourself but yeah I think it's okay
1: (laughs) I wanted to share my faith with my friends in high school I'm I don't think I really did but um but I wanted to and um yeah so I I ended up like my my community ended up being the thespians um so I did a I did a Shakespeare play and I got to star in a Shakespeare play and it just kind of launched a passion of I just like I love I love I still love acting I still love Broadway and, and, um, I, I think it's an amazing art. Yeah. So I, uh, so I applied to theater school and I applied to Moody and I kind of, um, told God uh, that I would go to, I would go to Moody if I got in. And, uh, otherwise I was, go- I was going into, into theater. <laughs> I didn't apply to any other Christian schools. That was the only one. So it's like, uh, if you want me to be a pastor, you gotta, you gotta let me in.
0: Right. Well, what you didn't know is they probably take everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, not really.
1: It <laughs> was scraping the bottom of the barrel. No, the time, not sure.
0: Not really, I'm sure. But uh but yeah, so that's that's okay. So you were what was that wrestling about? Like how what was that like in your life cuz I have kind of a similar story actually in and in, in, and I was going to ask you what your favorite role was in in school. Mm-hmm. Did you have a favorite role in theater?
1: Yeah, I the one I played that was my favorite was Benedict in Much Ado About Nothing. Nice. Um the one I always wanted to play that I didn't get to, uh, was, was the inspector in Les Mis. Uh I always wanted to try to play that kind of crazy guy role.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I played Linus in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. That was, okay. (laughs) and then as a freshman, I played the Energizer Bunny in a talent show and they painted my face. It's a long story. Anyway, the, uh, so I, as I resonate with that. And I, I had the conversation where, with God where I like had to go, you know, I think maybe being a pastor is more impactful than being an actor. I don't think that today actually, but so, I did, were you kind of wrestling with that or what was that? What was it
1: like for you? Yeah. For me, I, I, I think it was more like fleece ish. Like mm. I really, I really thought like not that many people got into Moody. It's obviously the Ivy league of Christian schools. I thought like, you know, God, if you want that for me, then that's like, that's what we'll do. So it was like, it was like, if I get the acceptance letter, I'll go. Um, I don't, I don't distinctly remember going back and forth and having that particular argument with God.
0: It wasn't an existential crisis. It was just, Mm-mm. yeah, oh. I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there. If you want me to go there, you'll, you'll get me in. Exactly. I gotcha. Okay. All right. So you go to Moody. What, what, uh, and what'd you study there?
1: I studied youth ministry. So this is where I, I was saying the, the kind of two, um, two storylines start to emerge. Um, because I was I was one of six kids and we couldn't pay for college, um, or like my parents could. They helped a little bit, but like we had to figure out how to pay for it. And so my method, um, each of my siblings have done kind of different things. Was I joined the army, so I, or I joined the National Guard, um, and so it was. It's supposed to be that one week in a month, two weeks a year thing, um, but really I ended up deploying for almost four years in the middle of my oh, wow. experience. Um, when was that? And uh, well, my first deployment was in two thousand five.
0: Okay, so you you joined up, and then like the whole thing happened—the whole like wars in Afghanistan and Iraq happened.
1: So the, mm. it was the other way around. I the things had happened. Okay, to, uh, like September eleventh happened, and that kind of inspired it. So I I signed up right after that. um, yeah, my recruiter sort of, you know, it wasn't the most truthful thing. Like, yeah, it's, you know, you can do no. this. You'll still be able to go to school. It's going to be great. Uh, your your unit hasn't deployed in 50 years, so it's probably fine. And then, sure enough.
0: Wow. What was it like being, over, being deployed? Your dad was deployed. How did that,
1: did you have those yeah, kind of... Cool we had some funny conversations because my dad was uh, like a lifetime military guy. Um, he was an officer in the air force for, for almost 25 years. Um, I joined as an enlisted army guy, which is like the difference is like the, like the Cadillac of, of um, jobs versus like, my dad flew around in, in bombers and um, got paid well and, and slept in like nice places. And we were like, we slept in, when we were in Iraq, we slept in tents. Wow. Um, and, um, so it was very different experiences. I, I was a medic, um, and, 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 um, I, which is what I wanted. So we had a very different desire. Like I wanted to, to be a medic with kind of the, the grunts. And, um, and my dad was like, why would you do that? You could be a, you could be an officer. You could do this, you could do that. And I was like, if I wanted to do this for life. Yeah. But like, this is, this is a part-time thing to get me to, to college. Um, and and so our, our experiences were pretty different. So I had to salute my dad every time I saw him and, <laughs> and he would tease me about all sorts of things. Did he? But I would always tell him he was he was weak. So I was like, <laughs> I mean, we're on the ground, Dad. We, you know. <laughs> were you over there together? No, but we went to the same place. Oh wow. So that was pretty weird. Um I, I like we would by by we went to the same place. Uh, my dad flew over and did operations over a town called Tikrit. Oh yeah. And I did operations um, on the ground as a medic in Tikrit. Um, so I would tease him. I'd be like, "Dad, it's this is not appropriate," but I would say, "Dad, like it's still here." I thought you guys bombed this place, and he said, "Did you see any tanks?" And I I said, "No," and he said, "Well, you're you're welcome,"
0: because <laughs> that's his job. Yeah, that was <laughs> so, uh,
1: so. That was weird. That's cool. This is a totally different life from, from now.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. So was that a curveball? Like, I guess I'm trying to put a word to that. Like, it seems, seems like you were trying to go to Bible school instead of youth ministry, and you ended up in Iraq. What? How that changed things for you?
1: Yeah. So the real um, the real challenges for me were relational. Um, uh, the way of. of I've learned to describe it as like um, when you are home, when you're in the military, it's like you take a Polaroid picture of all of your people, all your friends, your family, and you leave. um, And then you kind of just expect to jump back in that picture, Um, but everybody else has moved. And so um, the world has changed dramatically by the time you get back. And it's really weird to have, like I was gone the first, first time about 16 months um, and so like the world has changed tremendously. Nobody would leave like simple chores, like, you know, mowing the lawn for 16 months. They they just figure out how to, how to meet those, you know, fill those chores. It's the same thing relationally and emotionally, like your best friends mm. have found other people to fill their emotional needs. So you really, when I came back, I, I really didn't have a place. Um, and a big part of that, um, uh, Kind of a big part of that storyline is I, I had dated a girl in high school for five years, and um, we had kind of had a, a quick wedding before I left, um, and then she had left me while I was gone, and and um, and so I came back to a, a, a wrecked marriage and a, and a wrecked world, and um, so it, it yeah I would say it was <laughs> it was a curveball to answer your question.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. Did you end up going back to Moody like that?
1: So, um, right out of that, um, I, I, I went back to Moody for like three weeks, um, and realized I couldn't, I couldn't hack it anymore. At the time I was, I was, um, I was pretty wrecked emotionally. Um, I, I was really depressed. I, I got to the point of being, um, suicidal and, and addicted to a bunch of stuff. Um, so I dropped out after, after about three weeks back. Uh, and I actually went back to try to, uh, chase the chase my ex-wife for, the next year or so. Um, so it took me, um, took me a, about four years to get back to Midi.
0: Wow. Where was God for you in that time? What was God doing? Yeah. What was your experience of him anyway? That's what I want to know.
1: Yeah. Um, so up to that point, Christianity had been convenient. It had been easy. It had been like that safe space and it turned into, um, it it turned into the area of like greatest pain and doubt and confusion. Um, The church I was a part of was really conservative. And so most of the people told me like, if you get divorced, you can't be in ministry. You can't get, get remarried. So for me, like the two things I wanted growing up was to be a a pastor and to be a dad and to be a husband. I guess those three things, but um, all of those in that moment for me, at least for those that, that, that year or so were stripped. And I was like, I'm not allowed to do anything. That, that I grew up wanting to do and be. Um, so I had lots of conversations with God about, about it. And, and I, the prayer I remember saying a lot was God, if, if you're there and if you care um, we can make it through this, but I need you to show up in a way that I'm, I believe is you. I need, I need to know that you're there and that you care. Um, and um, as a human, I didn't know what that meant. And so I, 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 in that prayer, I'd say, God, fairly often I'd say, God, um, like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means for you to show up. I don't know what it means for you to prove yourself to me. I really don't. Um, but you're God and you know me better than I know myself. So um, I'm just hoping that you'll, you'll do it. Um, so I spiraled in that depression for about a year. Um, and I got to the point where like there was, and there were little like mini miracles where I'd have like these moments of hope. So like, I remember like passages from my childhood, like popping up at random times and, and encouraging me. I remember like in some of the lowest points where I was, I was going to hurt or, or or try to harm myself. Somebody showing up at the door or calling me. Um, there's these like mini miracles. I remember then they like scaled up a little bit. There was, um, a time, uh, I, I, I had, I had gotten injured in Iraq and I have, um, some some foot po- problems that have that are permanent, and um, wow. And I remember them getting so bad at one point um, that I couldn't I couldn't do something. And I said, God, if you want me to you know work today, um, I need you to fix my feet. And I was standing in the shower, and I remember this like weird experience of not like twilight moment, um, like you know no music or wishing wind or anything, but just like feeling like things became manageable, and being like that that was a weird non sensation sensation and being able to work that day and being like, I think that God, like, huh. Um, and I've never, i I've, I still have the same problems. Um, but I've ne- they've never been debilitating since that day. Wow. Um, like I haven't had a day where I took a day off. Um, and I've run a couple of marathons and done some other things physically that I didn't think were possible back then. Um, but, um, the week after that happened, um, I got the actual divorce letters. Um, and so it sent me right back into that spiral. And And I I remember one night um, writing God a letter. And I think it's like the most immature letter that maybe has ever been written. Because um, like, like kids don't usually write Santa Claus to say that they don't believe in him. I think they just like stop believing, but they don't inform Santa that he doesn't exist. Right? Yeah. But that's the letter I wrote to God. Was God? I don't believe in you anymore. I don't think you exist, and so I'm going to go do what I want to do. And um, it was an act of like intentional rebellion for me. Um, and uh, so I I went to go do something I knew was I knew was wrong, which I don't like. I grew up as like the pleaser kid who never rebelled. Um, so for me, it was a really really big moment um, to say like I'm not I'm not in anymore. And, um, and on the way to go, to go do this thing, um, uh, uh, God wrecked my car. And so it was, uh, in North Dakota in the middle of the night on a Thursday. And there's like f- four people in North Dakota. And usually, um, like in the middle of the night, they're sleeping. Cause they got to like wake up and, and, and milk the cows and stuff. So it was like very unusual that there were other cars. out. <laughs> wow. Um and so like I I drove, um, I was driving in a and a car whipped out and, and rammed me head on. And um and I knew in the moment, like as my airbags were deflating, I started to laugh and say, like, this was clearly God. And so I I was giggling when the other person came out of their car and was like, Are you okay? And I was like, Yeah. They're like, Did you you must have hit your head, you're laughing. And I was like, No, it's it's not you, it's God. Wow. <laughs> um for me, that was the moment uh, where I knew. Beyond like the, the, the coincidence was just too much for me. Like it was just clear. Um, that well, God still intervenes.
0: Yeah. Why did he, why did you interpret that God caused the accident or made that happen?
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of pieces. Like I had never up to that point, never gotten a ticket, never been in an accident. Like it was unusual. I'm a, I'm my friends all make fun of me for driving like a grandma. Like I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm an extremely conservative driver. Um, so it was, it was, all of the things that made it unusual mixed with the fact that it was the first day I've ever rebelled and so it was like I'm rebelling and you chose to do something that I thought I was kind of like it couldn't happen to to me especially um, and it was a mixture of like the m- mounting of all those other I had coincidentalized them all but um, all those other mini miracles to, to say like okay you've you've stacked up the evidence here God. Um, you clearly care about me. And and I could hear even just in the moment, like him saying, um, I'm not going to let you go. So I think it was a mixture of all of those.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. God's good like that. Right. I mean, you know, we can, we can feel or think whatever we want about him, but he, if he wants us, we're his.
1: Yeah. That's just how it is. It's intense.
0: Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, you know, okay, so where'd you go from there? Because you eventually did get into youth ministry, yeah, and your faith recovered. Oh, so what is that
1: Yeah, so the next couple of years um, really were just recovery from that that space. I knew I knew in the accident that I couldn't stay where I was, or I'd spiral right back down. Um, so like I, I prayed, and I heard it in probably the most audible way I'd ever heard was just the, the word from God that I should run that it was time to like be released from where I was. Um, and so I committed to God, uh, like if, if, um, if my ex-wife wanted to redeem the relationship, I wouldn't date anybody for, for, for two years is what I said. And so I'm just not going to worry about it. I'll let it, I'll let it up to you. So I, I kept myself open, but I also, um, I wasn't going to chase anymore. It, it it hurt me too much. And so, um, I heard the word run and literally the next day I got a call from my brother and he invited me to, um, to take a job out in California. So I moved, um, and in the move, I ended up at a new church and through that church community was a big part of my healing process. Cause they, they communicated that I was still valuable, um, that I was redeemable, uh, that the things that I had done wrong, um, that God, that God still had a, had a, um, had the ability, the love the the, uh, to to redeem me and restore me. And then that was his greatest desire for me. And so they communicated that in a very um, tangible, personal way. They wanted me as part of their church. Um, And so I I received that message from God largely through them. Um, So the next couple of years, like God, I, uh, I got, I got, um, deployed a second time, but and I didn't really want to go because like my life was starting to come back together. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't want to go. And then I was like, I'm not gonna rebel though, because I really like my new car and I don't want, you know, that to happen. So um so I just went on on the second deployment and uh, that was when the, the two thousand eight, two thousand nine recession hit. So the church I was a part of actually um folded from from financial reasons. The job I had um was bankrupted, the company was bankrupted. Um for financial reasons. So when I came back, I didn't have those things to come back to. Um, and so I was like, well, let's go back to plan a. And, um, and I ended up back at Moody.
0: Oh yeah. And spent my time there. That was a long four years. It sounds like. <laughs> 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 yeah. Was that the hardest season of your life?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Wow. I appreciate you sharing it in so much detail. It, you know, one of the things that I I want certainly friends, I hope that you hear that is that you know, we all go through those seasons. I, you know, I I've, I've got seasons like that too. Yeah. When we're wondering like, "God, what what is going on?" and um things don't make sense, and that's just a normal part of the spiritual journey. And so, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Uh okay, so you you ended up back at Moody studying again. Mm-hmm. And you eventually got into ministry as well. Um, you know, if you want to tell us, share a little bit with us about that, but then I want to hear about Rally Point because that had kind of an interesting story as well, right. To, to come into yeah. being.
1: Yeah. So, um, so the next couple of years, uh, like the the time at Moody was, was a large healing, healing process. I'd kind of pushed pause on a lot of that healing stuff. Uh, it was so painful um, that I, I just ignored it for a little while. Um, but the next couple of years were the foundation for regroup and rally point, um, because God started to, to heal my heart and, um, and, uh, give me a new identity. Um, and Christianity moved from that area of convenience to necessity. Like I need God to do my life now. Um, And a lot of that came through, um, uh, counseling. Like I went to counseling for a couple of years, um, through church, um, through the, the, the church bodies. I was a part of and through Moody, um, through certain professors that were there that really helped me see, see the value God saw in me. Um, yeah. And, and then, uh, I graduated. Well, I met uh, an amazing girl. Um, after that two year commitment, I, I, I met, I, God, God kind of released me to, to be open. My ex-wife got remarried. Um, and so it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. And so a huge part of my healing journey came through, uh, Elizabeth, my wife, um, as she saw, I saw myself as like a secondhand store material at that point, And she saw me as, um, as valuable and, and, mm. um, and, and really was a big part of, of that redemption. Um, yeah. I have a bunch of stories there we could get into, but, um, uh, I, lo- I, yeah, love, like I love, I love
0: what you said. I, I, through, yeah. I love what you said. I think that was really beautiful. And I think, um, you know, we have that narrative, right. That, that, Oh, if you've been married or you've had sex or whatever, like there's, you're, you're kind of that second, you know, you've, you've messed up. You've, you're not, uh, as pure. That's that purity culture thing. And I just, you know, I appreciate you saying that, like, no, it's God still loves you. Right. You're still valuable as a human being. And, and, you need to know that like wherever you've been, right. You need to know that he still loves you. Read the Bible, read how Jesus interacted with people. He never acted that way. Okay. So your wife, it sounds like your wife brought you some healing. You were able to, to, um, you know, were you able to see some value in yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, there was a bunch of pieces of that. And, and as we talk about regroup, I can kind of explain, um, the tools that we use in regroup really follow the healing curve that God brought me through. Um, so it was a lot of like, uh, I tend to think, um, really well of myself. Like I think there's two types of people in the world. Um, those who see themselves as like the best thing that's ever existed. And they like have to be convinced that there's something wrong with them. And then there are the people who think they're the worst thing that ever existed and they have to be convinced that there's something right with them. Um, I am, I tend towards that narcissistic <laughs> perspective. Like, I wanted to, to villainize my ex wife. I wanted to blame her. And the first thing God had to do for me was help me to see my contributions, to see that I, I was part of the brokenness um, that I caused uh, pieces. of it. I'm not alone in that. Um, you know, every, every break in a relationship is two ways. Um, and so it was about like, about that confession and learning how to be honest with, with God and people about my own sins. Um, And that was kind of the beginning, the beginning of that process. Um, And then God could speak into me uh, the truth about my identity. When I recognize the brokenness and I see it for what it is um, not, not better and not worse than what it is, but what it is, um, then God can say, okay, that's what you think. That's what you feel. That's what you've experienced. But let me let me give you your identity. I'm the artist who made you. Uh, I'm the creator who who sculpted you. So actually, I'm the one who gets to name who you are. Um, wow! And and that's a big piece of what we do in regroup is is we go about like a an identity reconstruction. We look at our past and how our past has formed what we feel about ourselves, uh, and then we we do this piece where where we let God actually speak the truth that that never changes based on feelings.
0: Mm, yeah, that's so powerful, right? I think. You're right. So many of us need it, need that. So, um, you know, tell us a little more about kind of how this, the origin story of, of regroup and rally point, and then, um, you know, tell us where people can get it.
1: Yeah. So, um, regroup was really like that, that, that bit about where I I was speaking, um, at camp about Jesus's emotions launched the idea. Um, so we really wanted to get closer to our kids that were hurting in our ministry Um, Because we realized like all the cool stuff, the showy stuff, the the stage stuff, the stage games often makes, make uh, kids who are hurting feel alienated. And so we wanted to create a space where people who were hurting felt like they had a home, where they were valued and they were important. Um, So we built this ministry within our church, within our local church um, called Regroup. And it was um, kind of a playoff of our our student ministries was called House Group. And so it was like House Group Regroup. And regroup was the place where you could go and um, have a community that came around you that helped you process with whatever pain you were experiencing, uh, gave you spiritual coping tools to deal with what you're dealing with, and um, and then hopefully reintegrate into um, into the rest of the youth ministry and and bring back what you you know the new tools you had and help help shape and and change the rest of the youth ministries, actually many of our kids, most of our student leader team were made up of kids who graduated from regroup by the time, uh, by the time I left.
0: Very cool. Uh, and so what is it now? Like, cause people can actually get in on this.
1: Yeah. So regroup was this, was this group that we ran at our church. It still is. It still exists. We um, ran it for uh, about, I think we're going on s- seven years um, that it's been running. Um, and it's a, it's a group specific to kids who are struggling with pain, grief, or addiction. Um, we, we ran it for, for these years. I went back and got a master's degree in social work while I was working on it so that I actually would know what I was talking about. Cause I felt super, uh, undereducated for the things we were dealing with.
0: And it um, kept you busy, were, little change.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of the changes that yeah. my wife encouraged. Um, and, um, they're just, when we were trying to run this group, we just found like nothing that we, no curriculum, no, no group format that we could contextualize that was out there. And so we just felt like this doesn't exist. There aren't churches working with kids with addictions. So like the the triangulation of kid Christian and addiction just doesn't exist in church world, uh, in a healthy way, in a way that a a church that couldn't have a full-time staff person doing that ministry could, could, um, could bring into their space so we wanted to create one where somebody can put three to five hours in a week and run a group um, so that's that's the curriculum that we ended up writing um, and f- you know every so every week for those six years we we would survey every kid and kind of understand what we were doing that was working um we talk with our kids and so we had um by the end thousands of lines of data on our program to see what was what was working um, and, uh, when I, when I left staff at church, they, they blessed me by letting me take the curriculum out, um, writing it for publication, so that we could actually share it with other churches. So now there's a handful of churches, um, that are using it around the country. Um, and we're excited to be able to offer it, um, nationally.
0: Yeah. I love the way that it comes from your own story, from your own kind of, um, desire to help people who are in pain and, um, and and yet it's, it's very, very, it sounds like accessible and, you know, for people, it's one of the hard things in youth ministry, right? You're, you know, you see them once a week or you see them, you know, twice a week and yeah it's it's tough to do that if you don't have a good, a good curriculum. Um, yeah. yeah okay. So that's it. Where can people find it?
1: Yeah. Uh, they can find it on, on our website, which is, uh, rallypointmin.com. Um, so it's rallypoint with the M mm-hmm. I com um and it 's available there david c cook is um is behind us they're they're publishing it for us um so it's it's also available on their site and um uh the the curriculum I think you have to buy it as a kit, so you have to go through our sites for it, but then you can restock there's a journal that comes within a leader guide that stuff's all available on on amazon and, and other places as well
0: yeah perfect, so it sounds like it's a I, plug and play might say it might be too much right but it's a, it's something that you can use. Um, cause I'm, I imagine you still have to invest in the kids that you're, that you're ministering to, right.
1: But yeah, absolutely.
0: But it gives you a yeah, framework absolutely. for doing that.
1: It does. So what we wanted to create was something that anybody could start really easily. Um, then as you, there, cause there's no better training than, than doing it. And so, um, it, it gives you a framework to start and then a whole bunch of things kind of ongoing to, um, to help refine what you're doing. Yeah. We also, um, for, for there are one of the things that I experienced in youth ministry is a lot of youth pastors are nervous to get into it, um, to, to get into helping kids who are hurting like they're Mm -hmm. afraid of liability things. Am I going to get sued? Um, what if I say the wrong thing and a kid hurts themselves? So, um, to back up our regroup program, we also, um, we also do youth pastor coaching. So we have, um, a, a coaching arm of our ministry, um, we're willing to meet with, with youth pastors, especially as they, if they want to launch this, this curriculum, we'd love to meet with them and help, help them make, help make them feel um, equipped and trustworthy to to handle those different situations.
0: Yeah. I love that because you don't have to be alone. Right. And that's one of the beautiful things about, uh, about the internet. I say this all the time, but Hey, you can, you could be, uh, you're in Chicago now, but you could be in California. Right. And, and you can still do it. Right. You can, you you can connect and get some help from the guy who's been there. So I love that. Um, so rallypointmen.com is where you can get it or Davy C. Cook's website. Um, Bobby, that's, that's all really wonderful. Is there anything you want to leave us with?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think I would speak to any youth pastors that are listening, any parents of teenagers that are listening, um, any senior pastors or, or, or church leaders who are listening, um, the kids around us are hurting, um, many, many of them, especially right now uh, with, the, with the current cultural changes. Um, and it's really important that we, that we care. So my encouragement is like, whether you use our stuff or whatever, like those kids need the church to rise up and to be a part of their lives. Um, we, we can't as a church, always expect to just refer to the professional counselors like it's our role is is to engage with um the spiritual leadership in our kids lives and so i would say like do something like engage with those kids they're there their their pain is palpable right now um so opening up those conversations somehow Um, I would just encourage people to, to to see their, especially their young people in their in their congregations, and to see that pain and engage with it.
0: Yeah, I love that. The gospel is for today, right? It is for yeah. those things. It's not just for what it's happens good. when you die. It's for now, and, and I, you know, knowing that the Lord loves you and that He is going to take care of you makes all the difference. And so, this sounds like a great curriculum to help youth pastors do that. You know, definitely. Um, friends, if you are, uh, in youth work at all, definitely look it up and take it recommend it to your youth pastor, or if you're a youth pastor, you know, see about getting it for your, for your group. Or if you're a pastor, Hey, pass it on. Um, would appreciate that. So Bobby, I do appreciate you sharing your story. You are very vulnerable. I can say it easy for me to say you were very vulnerable and I appreciate it. Um, and guys again, go pick all of that up. Thanks a lot.